Det här är ett poddradioprogram från Radio AF. Someone will remember as I say, even in another time. Welcome to Someone Will Remember Us. My name is Edmund Falby, and this time we are talking about Dr. Alan L. Hart. It's not all that easy finding good source material. Many of the texts I found discussing Dr. Alan L. Hart weren't that reliable, so basically I've tried my best with what I've got. I thought of not doing this episode at all because I'm I'm really lacking reliable source material, but I'm going for it. Anyway, I feel like Alan L. Hart is important and inspiring as one of the first trans men to go through gender-affirming procedures in the US. Um, I also feel like his quiet lifestyle, just trying to survive as a trans person, is rather representative of how many LGBTQ people have lived throughout history. I talk a lot about our biggest and boldest icons in this podcast, but we have so many quiet and assuming heroes as well. Heroes who just try to get by and happen to make history almost without intention. Dr. Hart was quite extraordinary, and the most extraordinary thing about him is that he did his best to lead a happy, fulfilling life in a deeply transphobic society. Dr. Alan L. Hart was born on the 4th of October 1890 in Kansas. He was the only child of Edna Bamford and Albert L. Hart. Like literally all of my sources state Alan L. Hart's birth name. I won't. Many of the sources also uses she as pronoun. The only collection of Alan L. Hart's writings has a photo of Alan L. Hart in long hair and a dress on the cover. I feel this is highly disrespectful. I will stick to Alan and he, and I won't show you any photos of him presenting as a woman, because he didn't do so willingly, he was forced to do so. In 1892, Albert L. Hart died, and Anna Bamford and her son moved to Oregon, where they lived initially, at the farm of Mrs. Bamford's parents. She remarried in 1895 to a man called Bill Banton. During his childhood, Hart would generally prefer farm work and masculine clothing to things a girl was supposed to like. Of course, this is very much emphasised in literally every single source I've consulted, because it's seen as a proof that Hart was indeed a man. Um, As a trans man who could not do one day of farm labour for my life, and who has the softest, most aristocratic hands you could imagine, I find this emphasis a little offensive, but either way, Hart was from the start stereotypically male. He also displayed an early interest in medicine. He would enjoy playing with dolls. However, he wouldn't play with them like other children did, but rather he would set up a pretend doctor's office and treat the dolls as his patients. There's also a story about how Hart, as a young boy, cut off the tip of his finger with an axe, and instead of telling an adult about it, he dressed the wound himself. 
he believed that he would grow up to be a man and that if he was just allowed to cut his hair and wear male clothes he would essentially be a man he talked with his mum about how he would be able to support her financially when he grew up and became a man his family seems to have been largely supportive his grandparents even called him their grandson in their wills he was allowed to live as a boy when he was at home however at school he would have to go by his birthday and wear clothes more associated with femininity in school alan alhart was involved in debating writing for the school paper and student government he attended albany college where he was active in debate writing tennis and photography he was also interested in one of his female friends who also attended albany college eva cushman Together they transferred to Stanford where they became roommates. Hart is said to have paid for Miss Cushman's transfer to Stanford, but they seem to have had a quite rocky romantic relationship. Cushman was uncomfortable with Hart wearing men's clothes and behaving like a man would in the early 20th century. I found two possible reasons in my research for why Cushman would have been uncomfortable. It might have been because Cushman was solely attracted to women and found Hart's masculinity unattractive, or because it drew attention to them as a couple. Even the school newspaper would joke about their relationship, so it seems like they were quite notorious. Either way, Cushman left Hart, probably because of him living in accordance with his gender identity. In 1912, Hart transferred back to Albany and graduated. In 1917, he got a medical degree from the University of Oregon. He was the only person assigned female at birth in the class, which made for some raised eyebrows, but he was at the top of his class. For a while, he worked at a Red Cross hospital after receiving his medical degree. At this point, he started living publicly as a man 100%. He had already been living as a man more or less, but now he really started presenting himself as a man in public in every single situation he was in. In 1918, he married a woman called Ines Stark. He used the name Robert Allen Bamford Jr. on the wedding certificate. The same year, he changed his name legally to Allen L. Hart. This year, 1918, is often regarded as the year he officially started living as a man because of the fact that he married a woman under a male name because he changed his legal name and because he got a hysterectomy. A hysterectomy is a complete or partial removal of the uterus. Hart had sought out Dr. J. Allen Gilbert for therapy because he had a phobia for loud noises. They continued therapy and Gilbert noticed both that Hart was attracted to women and that he wanted to be a man. He struggled with suicidal thoughts and did not think he could ever live a happy life being seen as a woman. After consultation with Gilbert, Hart got a hysterectomy in order to lessen his dysphoria and become sterile, which meant that he would no longer have periods. This hysterectomy is considered one of the very first gender-affirming procedures in the US because it was a removal of a completely functioning and healthy body part in order for the individual to feel a closer connection between his gender and his body. At this point in time, we are decades away from gender-affirming surgeries being a thing in the US and almost half a decade from the term transsexualism being coined. Um, so it's very, very early in the history of gender-affirming procedures. 
1920, Dr. J. Allen Gilbert published an article he called Homosexuality and Its Treatment. In it, he described Dr. Hart's case and referred to him simply as age. Gilbert believed that Hart was gay and that the treatment mentioned in the title was to have him live as a man, thus making him straight. Of course, Hart would probably have thought differently about his motivations, but Gilbert seems to have been rather progressive for his times, and he was very aware of the fact that Hart was doing something that would push him at odds with society at large. Gilbert wrote in this article that soon after Hart started living as a man, the hounding process began, which our modern social organisation can carry on to such perfection and refinement. After his hysterectomy, Hart moved to southwest Oregon to work there, but was recognised by some former acquaintance who outed him as trans. It seems like this was the very first instance of something that would become so much of an unfortunate pattern in Dr. Hart's life. He would bump into someone he knew or someone would realise that he was trans and then he and his wife would have to move to another town in order for Hart to continue living safely as a man and safely being married to a woman. Hart seems to have been quite masculine in his ways, according to people around him. Later biographies tend to attribute it to him trying to pass, but maybe he just was a really manly man. Who knows? His students said that he would use tough guy talk out of the corner of his mouth and delighted in telling them about experiences such as the one in which he had beaten up some burly truck driver. Hart divorced in a stark seven years later after they had lived apart for two years. In 1924, he met Edna Ruddick, a social worker with expertise in TBC. They met at University of Oregon, where they attended the same classes over the summer. They married in 1925 in New York. Hart obtained a master's degree in radiology in 1930 from the University of Pennsylvania and a master's degree in public health in 1948 from Yale. There is some evidence to indicate that Hart might have been the first organ physician to be educated as a radiologist. He was really in the forefront of the radiology field. He did a lot of work to screen patients for tuberculosis in order to offer them help before they became sick. This was quite progressive. He worked for 16 years conducting mass x-ray programs for the State Health Department in Connecticut. He wrote one book on radiology called These Mysterious Rays, a non-technical discussion of the uses of x-rays and radium chiefly in medicine. He was quite sensitive and he knew that the word tuberculosis had somewhat of a social stigma, so he proposed that he would be called a chest doctor and that his clinic would be referred to as chest clinic. In 1935, Hart said the following thing about medicine. The ugly things that have grown up in medicine are the result of the ugliness and falsity of society as a whole of our American preoccupation with success and making money, of our concentration of effort on the production of things rather than their use for fuller human life. These things are not the fault of the individual physician, neither can they be remedied by him. As long as the American people are permeated with the spirit of I'm going to get mine no matter how, just so long, with that attitude filter into all the professions, doctors are people first, and are affected by the current ideals just as other people are. 
During the Depression, Dr. Alan Hart had difficulties finding a full-time occupation and turned to writing. He later said that if he had not turned to writing, I'm sure I would have done something rather desperate. Hart published four novels, Dr. Mallory, The Undaunted, In the Lives of Men, and Dr. Findlay Sees It Through. His writing was progressive for its time and contained autobiographical themes that included medicine and sexuality. He said that one of his ambitions was to be an unofficial observer of the medical profession during the remainder of my life. Dr. Mallory is about an idealistic GP in a small town and The Undaunted is about a gay man who works as a doctor. Both of these works are seen as very autobiographical. There's two quotes in The Undaunted that are generally considered to mirror Hart's own experiences very well. The first one goes like this. He had been driven from place to place, from job to job, for 15 years because of something he could not alter any more than he could change the colour of his eyes. Gossip, scandal, rumour always drove him on. It did no good to live alone, to make few acquaintances and no intimates. Sooner or later, someone always turned up to recognise him. And then there was that wretched business of resigning by request to be gone through again. And after that, the concoction of the plausible story to count for the resignation and the ordeal of hunting another job without explaining exactly why he had left the old one and at the same time without lying about it. Each time he underwent these humiliations, his self-respect seemed first to writhe and then to shrink. The other quote is like this. He went into radiology because he thought it wouldn't matter so much in a laboratory what a man's personality was. But wherever he went, scandal followed him sooner or later. If he could have gone in for himself, I think he might have succeeded in the face of all the odds, for he was a grand man with sick people. But he had no capital and so had to work for other doctors or hospitals all his life. That ruined all his chances because eventually a story would get around and then he'd be forced to leave. Hart's novels were largely well received. However, In the Lives of Men received some criticism. One critic said that, for a doctor, he seems to know surprisingly little about women. In 1946, Dr. Hart and Mrs. Ruddick Hart moved to Connecticut. There, they had a very socially active life. They were involved in the Unitarian Church. And Alan Hart was remembered as a small man, short and thin. He had an unusual voice with an almost British diction. And someone else recalled, he was quite a courtly, gentle, manly guy, a man of the old school. The married couple bought a house where they would live up until Dr. Hart's death on July the 1st, 1962. Late in his life, Hart is recorded to have said, Each of us must take into account the raw material which heredity dealt us at birth the opportunities we have had along the way, and then work out for ourselves sensible evaluation of our personalities and accomplishments. What more can any man ask than to have been on the side of life and truth and beauty, to have played his part honourably, and as well as his talents allowed, to have loved mercy and done justly? He was cremated after his own wish. He also asked that some personal letters and photos of him would be destroyed. He had his whole life been very secretive about his childhood and the fact that he was trans. So this 
might be seen as a step towards being remembered as the man he was and not the girl he had been raised to be. Edna Rodicard died in 1982, and at her memorial service, a speaker talked about how special the marriage with Alan Hart had been and how he never really died because of her memories. The residue of her estate was donated to what is now Oregon Health Science Foundation. In loving memory of Alan L. Hart, MD, a graduate of the University of Oregon Medical School, whose mother died of leukemia, whose life was devoted to medicine, and whose earnest wish was to someday give financial support to medical research in its efforts to conquer leukemia and other diseases. In 1976, Jonathan Ned Katz published Gay American History, Lesbians and Gay Men in the USA. In it, he uncovered Dr. Hart's life story after reading the article from 1920 by Dr. Gilbert, where Hart was referred to as age. Jonathan Ned Katz thought of Hart as a woman, as a lesbian woman, who wanted to form relationships with other women and therefore lived as a man. And there are a lot of other people that have presented Hart as a lesbian woman as well. Now, I do think that the evidence is overwhelming that Alanel Hart was a trans man. It's always tricky talking about historical people and assigning modern concepts of identity to them. But his widow, Edna Rudick, was reportedly very upset when the writer Jonathan Ned Katz tried to get an interview with her about her lesbian wife. She felt offended that her husband would be regarded as a woman, which I really think is all the proof we need. But if that's not enough, he did live as a man for most of his life. He underwent physical surgeries and was recognised as a man by his surroundings, including in his grandparents' wills. Like, his grandparents literally grew up in the 19th century and they still recognised him as a man. So, like, I'm... I'm generally wary of assigning identities to dead people, but Alan Hart is the most trans, trans man I've ever heard about. But I still want to mention that some people have thought of Alan Hart as a gay woman. As I said at the top of the show, it's difficult finding sources this time. Dr. Hart was quite successful in his medical and literary career, but he mostly led a very quiet life and after his death, a lot was destroyed. I don't recommend pushing Alan Elhart into your search engines this time because, frankly, a lot of really disrespectful articles come up with very little reliable information. Of course, if you can get your hands on any of his works, fiction or non-fiction, I would recommend you read them and then send them my way because they're out of print and I can't seem to find them. There's like 40 pages available online from a collection of his fictional works and it includes a short introduction of him. It's quite easy to find the man who has put together these works and written the introduction is called Brian Booth. Stuff You Missed in History Class has a brilliant episode on Alan L. Hart from 2013 and I'm very indebted to them. I'm so jealous that these two hosts of Stuff You Missed in History Class do their history podcast full time. I'm studying and do this on my spare time and therefore I can't go as in depth as they do. Like they can research their episodes full time and that is so cool. The Oregon Health and Science University Library has two articles on documents relating to Dr. Hart that I found quite interesting. 
Um, otherwise, I feel like I've practically told you everything that I could find out about Dr. Hurt. And I'm not sure if you could find any other sources with more information out there. Please contact me if you have further information on Dr. Alan Hurt. I would love to do an update later on. Thanks for listening. And someone will remember, as I say, even another time. Du har lyssnat på ett poddradioprogram från Radio AF. Hitta alla våra program på radioaf.se.